pain has reached epidemic proportions in America. I'm Dr. Paul Christo. This is Aches and Gains. Dr. Paul Christo is one of America's leading experts on relieving pain. He's board-certified, Harvard-trained, and a pain medicine specialist at Johns Hopkins. U.S. News & World Report ranks him as a top doctor and among the top 1% in the nation for pain management. Becker's Review selected him as one of the 70 best pain management physicians in America. He's listed as a super doctor for the Washington, D.C., Baltimore, Northern Virginia area. Aches and Gains is a weekly talk show covering all aspects of pain and pain relief. The human impact is real. Older adults, children, and even infants struggle to cope with pain. But there's hope, and there are treatments that can ease pain and suffering. The show offers compelling stories about people who've found relief. We share cutting-edge treatments from contributing experts, and we offer ways to help people cope with their pain. Welcome to the show. You're feeling some indigestion after a meal, and then a little chest heaviness. You've even had some painful flu-like symptoms during the week. It's probably nothing. Or is it? If you're a woman, you could be having a heart attack and not even realize it. In fact, one in four women will die of heart disease. The chest wall is a common site of pain from rib fractures, bronchitis, and peptic ulcer disease, for example. So how do we distinguish the pain of a heart attack from other conditions? Our guests today will lead us through the maze and provide some concrete guidance on identifying risks, symptoms, and strategies for a healthy heart. E. Liz Green had a heart attack and cardiac arrest at 35 years old while seven months pregnant with twins. She not only survived, but is thriving as a mother and keynote speaker for women and heart health. During the show, Dr. Noelle Peterson, Director of Women's Cardiovascular Services at East Carolina Heart Institute, joins us. She'll talk about how we can differentiate the pain of heart disease from other conditions, identify risk factors, for chronic chest wall pain and share the latest in diagnosing, treating, and preventing heart disease. Aches and Gains is supported by Medtronic, Purdue Pharma, Teva Pharmaceuticals, Millennium Laboratories, My Life Patient Program, and DC2 Healthcare, and The Pain Community. For live online listening to Aches and Gains, please go to paulchristomd.com. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. Eliz was just 35 years old and seven months pregnant with twins when suddenly her heart stopped. Let's continue to hear her unbelievable story. Eliz, welcome back to Aches and Games. Thanks for having me on. On our last show, you shared an extraordinary story about having a cardiac arrest while you were seven months pregnant with twins, getting defibrillated or shocked back to life, immediately delivering your twins by C-section, followed by open-heart surgery within seven minutes of making the incision to deliver the twins. I mean, it's miraculous that both you and the twins survived. Mm-hmm. I've seen patients with chest wall pain after cardiac surgery. The sternum is split in order to open the chest wall and expose the heart, so there are several sources of pain, and st- External wires are certainly one of them. What was the pain like in your chest after the bypass surgery? You know, I remember waking up in the ICU in very significant pain. At that point, I was still on the respirator, mm-hmm. and the respirator spreads your lungs bigger than you would if you were in control because you wouldn't make it go that big because it hurts. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Right. That was really uncomfortable. It's a very sort of primordial pain Mm -hmm. because it's so central to your being to have your chest feeling like it's being stretched apart 
is very uncomfortable. Yeah. In order to recover, you do have to breathe deeply, and that's sort of this struggle that you have to go through. It really does hurt when you fill your lungs and stretch all that stuff that's been surgically repaired. And you're right about the wires. Mm-hmm. To this day, there's one that still bothers me at the top of my sternum. Uh, it doesn't bother me on a regular occasion. I don't pay attention to it, but mm-hmm. if I were to touch it, as I am doing right now, yeah, it's still a little painful. And it's been 14 years. Wow. Uh, the sternal wires, by the way, are used to unite the breastbone, known as the sternum, after cardiac surgery. And those wires can be a cause of persistent pain following the surgery. Eliz, how was the chest pain treated in the ICU? I mean, did they provide intravenous opioids, for example? Yes. I'd wake up. There seemed to be constant turning of me. Uh-huh. And that was painful, too, because yeah. everything kind of hurt. So, you know, I'd roll over to one side and roll over to the other side. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that you have an interesting, very personal story about turning. I must say the ICU nurses were brilliant mm-hmm. in that the neonatal ICU nurses sent down polarized of the babies, which uh-huh. they taped to the sides of the bed. And then they would ask, which baby do I want to look at? And then they'd roll me that way, and I would look at that baby for a while <laughs> while they were doing whatever they needed to do. Uh-huh. And then they'd roll me to the other side, and I'd get to look at the other baby. They were really smart <laughs> Very. about motivating me to sort of be cooperative through the pain. Mm-hmm. I mean, those were good nurses. And were those opioids that were given to you in the ICU effective? Absolutely. That would have been impossible for me to sleep, impossible for me to not be like completely clenched mm-hmm. the entire time, and you can't heal that way. Mm-hmm. Excellent, excellent point. You know, Eliz, I've had some women say that the excitement of having a baby serves as a pain reliever. Did this happen to you? I think so. I think I was certainly motivated mm-hmm. and concentrated on them more than me, right. which I think makes a lot of difference. I came out of surgery at about 7 p.m., um, was extubated by midnight, and the nurse that came in at 7 a.m. the next morning told me that if I did everything she said that day, she would take me to see my daughters. And, you know, she kept me motivated, and I kept doing what she said. And sure enough, mm-hmm. at the end of her shift, I was in a wheelchair on my way to the NICU to meet my girl. Wow, that's a heartfelt story. It was amazing. And it was particularly good for my husband mm-hmm. because it was such an important thing that all of us were all together yeah. and it was like, okay, I think this might actually be all right. Mm-hmm, I can see that. Talk to us now about the leg vein that they harvested for your open heart surgery. I have to say the leg was the worst. In what way? These days, they do that all under the skin so you don't have an open incision. Right. But I had a, an open incision from my knee to my ankle which got infected. That was not good. No. That too, to this day, continues. My leg will swell because my circulation isn't as good. I'm sorry to hear that. What is that pain like? That's a more burning sensation. And I have some numbness Mm -hmm. as well that just hasn't gone away. But when it swells, it'll it'll become very achy. Elias, what do you do to help control the discomfort? I can try to prevent it by eating a very, very low-salt diet. If it gets particularly painful with the swelling, then I have a diuretic I can take. Mm-hmm. Uh, sitting tends to make it worse, so if I can get up on my feet and move around, that, that tends to make it better. Today, how much pain do you have in the chest following the cardiac bypass surgery? My cardiac surgeon did make my incision fairly low, mm-hmm. 
so that I, as he put it, could wear fashionable clothing. <laughs> right. You know, it's like the fourth rib down, really, where it starts. Uh-huh. Pretty much right to the end of my sternum. That means that it's pretty close to where the end of a bra would be as well. Okay. That constant irritation on the, the scar tends to get painful. And in, over time, I've learned some tricks about, you know, having different styles of bras so that it's not always on the same uh, spot and, and that sort of thing. Well, I'm glad that you've found techniques, if you will, to control that pain. Eliz, how did having a near-death experience at age 35, seven months pregnant with twins, change your perspective on life? That's an excellent question. I woke up knowing that I was extremely lucky. Mm -hmm. I had been given the opportunity to raise these beautiful girls with my husband. I wasn't going to waste that opportunity. And that's a great place to find yourself. Has it changed the way you view life in other ways? I just had something go wrong with an event that I'm speaking at, and the event planner was extremely apologetic. And my response was, this doesn't even make it up on the scale. No, it doesn't. Do you feel as though you're more patient or compassionate today? Yes and no. I think I have certainly more compassion and have much more empathy for people who have uh, health struggles. Mm-hmm. I, however, don't have a lot of patience for people who choose not to take care of themselves. Yeah, you know, I can understand that. I have patients who become closer to their family or friends or, or focus much more on their faith after experiencing something traumatic. Did that happen to you? I don't know that I became uh, necessarily connected to a faith in terms of a religion, mm-hmm. but definitely I woke up knowing that I was given this story for a purpose, yeah. and there was something I was supposed to do with it. Okay. At that time, I really had a vision of standing in front of people and speaking. That's how I started, is really just volunteering for the American Heart Association, sharing my story, and it just grew out of that. I, I get to be in the right place at the right time, talking to the people who needed to hear me. And that's my purpose. And has that made a difference in the lives of others? I have a video on YouTube that's that's really about is it time to call 911, Mm -hmm. where I talk about the the symptoms of women's heart attack. And I say, okay, here's the deal. If you're going to watch this video, you already probably think you're having a heart attack. So here's the deal. If you're going to watch it, you need to have the phone in your hand. And when I say something that you're experiencing, you need to call 911. And so I know that there's women who have watched that video and called 911 are still here. That's my purpose. And that's a fantastic contribution, Eliz. I have a sensitive question for you now. Are you afraid that you might have another cardiac arrest and, and that you'll die? Um, sure, absolutely. I had an experience last March where I had an arrhythmia that I couldn't control. And, and we talked a while back about did I have that feeling of doom, feeling of dread? Mm-hmm. And it happened again where I'm like, whoa, this yeah. is bad. Well, um, and I've been in the emergency room a total of three times since I had my heart attack. Because I stand in front of women and say, you know, if you have something weird going on, you can't explain, go get it checked out. Mm-hmm. First two times, I was pretty sure it wasn't cardiac, but I went anyway. And one turned out to be a pulled muscle. The other one turned out to be um, a little reflux issue. This last March, my heart was beating so fast and I couldn't get it to calm down. And it lasted 45 minutes. Wow. started to lose consciousness. This is not good. Mm-hmm. So that was really scary. Mm-hmm. And when you have something happen to your heart that 
sense of denial that we all walk around with every day, because truly, if we thought about what could go wrong, we wouldn't get out of bed. Right. And so initially, when something happens, that denial goes away, and it's a scary, scary, scary way to live. As you regain strength and stamina and confidence, it gets better. But in the back of my mind, there's always that, this could be bad. I still will look around a room to find out where the AED, an automatic external defibrillator, I typically know where they are. You do have to be prepared wherever you go. And for most of us listening, if we had lived in your shoes, we'd have a high degree of anxiety and apprehension. But let's find out whether Eliz does. After the break, I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by Medtronic, a global leader in medical technology, alleviating pain, restoring health, and extending life for millions of people around the world. Visit TameThePain.com to learn about treatment options for chronic pain. Teva, a leading global pharmaceutical company committed to increasing access to high-quality health care by developing, producing, and marketing affordable generic medicines, as well as innovative and specialty pharmaceuticals. Millennium Health is a leading health solutions company that delivers accurate, timely, clinical actionable information to inform the right treatment decisions for each patient at the right time. Millennium offers a comprehensive suite of services to better tailor patient care. More information is available at www.millenniumhealth.com. My Life Patient Program and DC2 Healthcare, connecting patients to top physicians in the United States, reaching the highest standard of patient care through research patient programs and gains in overall health. For more information, please visit mylifepatientproject.com and dc2healthcare.com. Welcome back. Eliz, if this had happened to me, I'd have a high degree of anxiety and fear that this might happen again to me and that I might die. How do you feel about it? To be honest, I think I have a fairly high level of anxiety, but I don't necessarily think that's always bad. Okay. Um, the way that I deal with it is, what if this happens? Well, we do that. What if this happens? Well, we do that. What if this happens? Well, we do that. And if I do that, mm-hmm. I'm prepared and I can go ahead. I just need to go through that process. So it's still, what happens if I go to an event and I'm staying alone in a hotel room and I start feeling poorly? I know in advance, I have found out where the closest hospital is. I know what kind of services are in the hotel. So I just know. Mm-hmm. That's great. I mean, it takes a lot of courage to do that. Eliz, what does the cardiologist say about your risk of future infarcts or future ischemic events? Well, I have a small part of my heart that doesn't beat anymore, and that's the damage that was caused by the heart attack. Mm-hmm. So that puts me at risk of developing a clot, which could turn into a stroke. So I'm going to be on blood thinners for the rest of my life. Right. That's okay, because I get to be here. Because I have a repaired heart, there's always a chance that that repair will fail over time. Mm-hmm. So there's a chance that I will have to have another bypass in the future because that bypass will deteriorate or whatever. In addition, having a repaired heart puts me at risk for developing the rhythm, which I've done. And when this happened to me last March, in the back of my head, it was like, well, I've been waiting for this. I know what to do. It was still scary, but I kind of knew where we were headed. Um, now I have the implanted uh, monitor about the size of a pen cap that's implanted in my chest and constantly monitors my heart rhythm 
So in the event that it happens again, they can figure out what it is and fix it. Mm -hmm. So you have certain risks, but you're modifying them and you're aware of what they are. You're an advocate against the stigma of women and heart disease. What is that stigma and has it changed? You know, I thought that it was getting better, but I still think we have work to do. When I first started speaking for the American Heart Association, I would not let them introduced me as somebody who had heart disease. And I was very, very adamant about it. Uh They needed to explain that this was caused by the pregnancy and it wasn't something I had done. Which, when I look back on it, was so ridiculous. But I really, truly believe that if people thought I had heart disease, they would think it was my fault. Hmm. That I had somehow done something to cause what happened to me. Which is ridiculous because there's all kinds of things that cause heart disease from family history to your age. You know, it's not just whether you smoke or you're overweight. There's all kinds of factors. But the most common question that I get is, so were you not taking care of yourself? Which is interesting in that you would never ask a woman who has breast cancer that question. That's right. So there's still, I think, a level of stigma that comes with heart disease. I think partially because it is a lot of it is preventable. Mm -hmm. There are many things that we can do to lower our risk. So I think people believe that somehow there's some culpability in it, but yet we see very healthy people who develop some aspect of heart disease, whether it's a rhythm problem or they're, you know, just blessed with crazy genetics. So they develop, uh, you know, plaque in their arteries, even though they do everything right. Exactly. But I'm glad you're such an advocate to make things better. Eliz, what do you tell women who want to maintain a healthy heart? You know, I typically talk about a triangle, about moving more, eating better, and stressing less. Mm -hmm. And it really boils down to just those three things. Yeah. If we can keep our feet moving, close our mouths to the things that we're not supposed to to eat, Uh and really just sleep we would do our hearts a great favor. Great suggestions. And finally, how can those with post-cardiac surgical pain in the chest, or any chronic pain condition for that matter, fight against the temptation to give up? If you find some way to distract yourself, Mm -hmm. whether that's focusing on somebody else, serving somebody else, whatever it is, you know, watching a funny movie, just getting outside of, of your head and the pain, that makes a difference. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think distraction is very important. Eliz, I'm glad you're healthy and delivering such a positive message. And thank you so much for being on the show today. It was my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Stay tuned for Dr. Noelle Peterson, Director of Women's Cardiovascular Services at East Carolina Heart Institute. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by The Pain Community, a web-based nonprofit created by people living with pain. Check out paincommunity.org for information, references, advocacy tools, and a premium section to securely interact with other members in forums and chat rooms. Purdue Pharma, making a positive impact on healthcare and on lives, reminding everyone to safeguard medications in their home. For cutting-edge treatments and resources, follow Dr. Paul Christo on Twitter or like Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo on Facebook. Welcome back. 
We're here with Dr. Noelle Peterson, a cardiologist. She directs Women's Cardiovascular Services at East Carolina Heart Institute and also sees patients in private practice. Dr. Peterson, welcome back to Aches and Games. Thanks for having me. On our last show, we talked about the quite staggering statistic that one in four women will die of heart disease. We talked about some of the risk factors for heart disease and how to reduce them and how heart attack symptoms in women differ from men. And finally, we talked about the features of chest pain that point more toward a cardiac problem compared to other conditions that might cause chest pain. Noelle, what's the first thing we should do if we feel like the chest pain is from the heart? Definitely chew a few aspirin Mm -hmm. would be one of the first things. And you don't want to swallow them, you want to chew them so that they can get get into your system quicker. I definitely would recommend calling 911 because once the ambulance comes, A, they can give you treatment in the ambulance on the way to the hospital. And then when you get to the hospital, you get triage quicker because you came on the ambulance versus going in a private vehicle. Right. Um, And a lot of times, because of the nonspecific symptoms or atypical symptoms, women are, I don't want to say blown off, but they're told, okay, it's just your anxiety. It's just panic attacks. It's just indigestion or it's just the flu. And therefore, they get missed, so then they present later, so then they actually have worse outcomes than men. I see. Okay, so make sure you have aspirin on hand and that you chew them if you feel like you have chest pain of cardiac origin. Dr. Peterson, Eliz said that the cardiac surgeon used a device called beating heart bypass to perform her surgery. Can you give us an overview of what that is and, and its benefits? Um, using the beating heart bypass is usually when they don't put you on the heart-lung bypass machine. They actually are able to do your surgery and prevent you from being on that pump. Mm-hmm. And some of the benefits to that are a lot of times with when you're put on the heart-lung bypass machine, there is an increased risk of having either mini strokes. A lot of people will have some cognitive decline afterwards mm-hmm. or, you know, they be able to do math in their heads and now they're having to use a calculator. A little bit more forgetfulness. I see. Okay. You know, I've seen patients with chest wall pain following cardiac surgery, primarily from the sternotomy, but also from the sternal wires. Eliz says that she does have intermittent but, but chronic sternal pain from the sternal wires. How often do you see this? Pretty common after having bypass surgery because, again, especially when you do the sternotomy, you are cutting through some of the nerve endings and have a lot of visceral pain. Sometimes that tends to get better with time, Mm -hmm. but especially in small people or thin people, a lot of times the sternal wires, when they're tying them off, do tend to kind of rub into the viscera and irritate it. Sometimes it's chronic intermittent. Usually it does tend to get a little bit better with time. Now, do you think that that's a growing problem or, or has it been shrinking? I actually think it's shrinking. Um, People who have had their bypass surgeries a long time ago, kind of the surgeons would just twist off the wires and not really worry so much about where they were putting them. I think now they're trying to put them so that they're not rubbing on the viscera. Mm -hmm. You know, they're doing a lot more mid-cap procedures where they go in with some of the laparoscopics or sometimes with the robotics, and they can either do a mini sternotomy instead of the full sternotomy. And some of the valve diseases can be completely fixed with robots where they don't even have to do a sternotomy at all. Mm, Fantastic. I think, too, that we're seeing a reduction in the incidence of those who present with something called intercostal neuralgia, which is that shooting, stabbing pain uh, across the ribs uh, after dissection of the internal mammary artery from the chest wall for these bypass surgeries. 
Dr. Peterson, Eliz also mentioned that she has continual leg pain from harvesting a vein for her bypass surgery. Do you see patients with with this type of pain as well? I do see that more common than having the the chronic chest wall pain. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times people tend to have more edema on that side where the vein was harvested. Mm -hmm. You know, I've had some patients wonder whether chest wall pain can persist after getting defibrillated or shocked. What do you think? Some people can last for a couple of weeks, but usually it doesn't turn into a chronic pain issue. And that's great news. And Dr. Peterson, I really enjoyed having you here again today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Games. The views and opinions expressed in this radio program are solely the views of Dr. Paul Christo and do not necessarily express the views of this radio station and Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, nor an endorsement by any or all of them of any of its content. This show provides medical information, not advice. Please consult your personal physician before engaging in any course of treatment or use of any of the techniques or products discussed on this show. Discussion of particular uses of products on this show have not been approved by any of the manufacturers of such products. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. Aches and Gains is produced by Tom Blair and Ty Ford. Elsa Langford is the technical consultant and engineer. Dr. Paul Christo is the executive producer. Thanks for listening. This is Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo.